You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Listening to people, check. You went on beach reach, check. You were nice to your friends, check. The only problem with that is the Christian life is not a checklist, it's a relationship. That's why he says to them, you're getting church so right that you've really gotten the entire thing wrong. Because he says it like this, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen, repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the, of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Interesting. Because I remember going through that myself, and when I got to those first three verses, I was thinking to myself, man, I want to be a member of the church at Ephesus. And in one sentence, here's what I thought. Uh, no, I don't. It's almost an indictment upon the church that he's saying this. You've gotten church so right that you missed the entire point. You stand up each day and you're trying to have 99% Sunday school attendance. You're trying to make sure you check off every check mark on the list. But I would say this to you, Overflow. It's about a relationship and not a checklist. He says, you've forsaken your first love. He's saying you can do amazing things in the church and do everything that God has called you to do and you can miss it. And the idea of what he's saying is, church, don't miss it. So the question is this tonight. How many of us have forsaken our first love? How many of us have been doing church so well that we kind of miss the point? Because it's a lot of times we get so robotic in relationships that we forget even what's being said to us. I told Jay Wood this the other day. My daughter, Eden, is 15 years old. And just the other day, she, when I was leaving, uh, I was, or I was coming to go be with Jared somewhere, and she goes, hey, are you going to be with Jay Wood tonight? And it was funny because I figured out at that moment, for the last several years, every time I leave, she asks me if I'm going to be with Jay Wood. I think she thinks that we do everything together. Now, we're really good friends. We talk all the time. We hang out all the time. But we actually don't do everything together. But you know what? For the first time in several years, I was walking out. She goes, are you going to be with Jared? And I said, yeah, I am. And I stopped and looked at her and I said this. Hey, I know this sounds weird. Don't you ask me that every single time I leave? And she looked at me and said, yes. You know what's weird? It was so robotic, I didn't even think about it till she said it. I've been answering the same question for two years and have missed what she's actually saying. See, sometimes that happens. There are some times that we have good hearts. There are some times that we truly want to be who God's called us to be, but we get so caught up in life, get this, sometimes so caught up in church that we forget to love Jesus in the process. And it's when we understand that that he's trying to speak to us. It's when that we start to have that chance to just sit back and get perspective and to think about it for a little bit. He says this, but I'm going to give you some answers. If you ever have a chance to go through in a Bible study of the different roll call of churches, he says the same thing at the end of every one. To him who has ears, 
He's trying to give them the answers of what they need. In other words, it's not like he's standing up and saying this, Church at Ephesus, you missed the point. You're done. In this one statement, he's saying this, If you at Ephesus or you at Overflow have ever gotten to the point that you've been getting it so right that you just kind of fell out of love with Jesus, he says, I've got an answer for you here. There's an answer on how to come back. It's an answer on what it means to have perspective, just to fall in love with Jesus again. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down just a few thoughts. If you're not taking notes, just consider it like this. He says, you know what? If you have fallen out of love with Jesus, or maybe just forgotten about that love relationship, or maybe you realize that two years from now it could happen to you, here is going to be your little checklist. He said, if you want to come back to him, number one, you need to remember some things. Just write down the word remember. When you have a chance to see what he's saying, it's interesting. He said, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. And then he says the statement, remember the height from which you have fallen. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, you remember at one point in your relationship with Jesus, you were right here? And when you really think about it for a second, you're kind of right here right now. He's saying, remember the height from which you've fallen. Remember there was a point where you were so in love with Jesus. There was a point in your life that you can look back and say, I was closer to Jesus than I've ever been at that point. Maybe it was a high, in high school. Maybe it was last year. But he's saying, the first step in falling back in love with Jesus is to remember how in love you used to be with him. He said, remember the height from which you've fallen. Take a good look and look and see how far you've come down. Because here's what I figured out in real life. When you have a chance to remember what you used to have, it means you have a chance to get it back. See, the problem is if you never had it in the first place. That's a whole other sermon. If you were never in love with him, we've got to come to a place called salvation, right? But he's saying... If you truly had salvation and you've kind of just let the life just kind of take you over and stress and anxiety take you over and you fell out of love, well, then you need to remember the height you fall. Remember what you used to have. It's interesting because I tell people I've been married longer than y'all have been alive. It's just the truth. And it's interesting because I, I go back and I look at the relationship. Listen, I remember meeting my wife in Arlington, Texas. Uh, she was at Texas Tech University in Lubbock, and I was in seminary at Southwestern. And there was that point where we had that long-distance relationship. How many of y'all have ever been in a long-distance relationship? Just raise your hand. Yeah, plenty of y'all. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's really bad, right? But it's interesting because it's kind of a catch-22. It's kind of a dichotomy of itself. But I remember there was a point where we got engaged, and I said this. If I'm going to get engaged, I've got to figure out a way, as a godly man, to be the greatest fiancé ever on earth. That was the whole point, right? And so I remember saying things like this, okay, uh, I'm going to do things and surprise her. I'm going to give her little presents and do little things that maybe she's not expecting. But I remember this time. I thought, you know what? I want to go out and I want to, uh, I want to surprise her one time. In other words, go out, just fly, and just take her out to eat and turn around and come back home. And I did that. I remember I, I had a flight. It was really cheap. It was like 29 bucks going out there. And I had a friend of mine pick me up and take me. And she lived in this dorm room that was interesting because you would press the button. And when you press the button, it would ring their phone up in the room. And I remember getting there, it was really cold outside, I didn't have a jacket, and I remember pressing the button, and when I pressed it, I know now that my wife is a very, very heavy sleeper. Now, I didn't know that then, but you got to understand, I'm, I'm kind of going into this, and I remember pressing, and she'd gone to sleep, and I remember picking up the phone, because she didn't know if somebody's ringing the door downstairs at the dorm, or she, she picked up and goes, hello? And I said, honey, it's Wade. She goes, who? I go, it's your fiance. She goes, oh, yeah. She goes, what do you want? And I go, 
well, I'm downstairs. I'm, I flew in to, I'm going to take you out to eat real quick. I just wanted to just surprise you and, and just come out and open the door. And it's kind of cold out here anyway, so I need you to open the door. And she goes, you're not here. And she hung up on me. <laughs> so I pressed it again. It's okay, because I'm a good fiance's patient, right? So I pressed it again. And it was as if the first thing didn't happen. Hello? I go, Deb, it's Wade. She goes, who? Your future husband. Oh, yeah. I go, uh, she goes, what are you doing here? I go, I'm downstairs. I need you to open the door. She goes, you're not here. And she hung up again. Now, at this point, there's like, I, I know people walking by, and they're giving me the look of, she doesn't really love you, right? And, you know, that's when the long-distance relationship is bad. Because I'm like, is there something going on? I don't know. So I rang it the third time. It was as if nothing happened. Hello? It's your future husband. Wake up. I'm downstairs. I came to surprise you. I said, come down here. Please open the door. I'm freezing cold outside. And I still remember her saying it. She goes, okay, I'm going to come downstairs and I'm going to open the door. And if you're not here, this isn't funny. <laughs> and as a guy, I thought, mm, I'll give it a shot. Pretty sure I'm here. And I remember her opening the door and she was like, oh, you're here. <laughs> yeah. And girls wonder why guys get frustrated sometimes, right? I tell you that story to explain this to you. You know what? When you're married, even when you're in just a normal relationship, there's ups and downs. Sometimes they're really down. Sometimes they're really up. And there's always those struggles. Why? Because God makes us individuals. There's temptations around us, and we don't know how to handle it. But it's interesting because I remember thinking in that moment, if my wife and I ever go through something tough enough, there's always going to be a moment that instead of me just checking out and walking away, that I'm going to be able to look back and say this. There was a moment that I was so in love with her that no matter what, I was willing to stand in the freezing cold weather, buy a plane ticket, and you know why I wanted to do that? Just so I could see her face for 13 seconds. So that's what love is. You see, I have a chance to do marriage counseling for people. And when they come in, they're usually angry, and they say, we just want to get divorced, we just want to end this whole thing. And when they're doing that, I'll say, do you ever remember a time that this relationship used to be good? And they'll go, nope, we just hate each other. And I'll go, no, 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 seriously. And there's always that person, one of the, one, man or the woman, they'll say this, okay, if you're going to force me to do it, I remember this time. And when they do that, I say, hey, hey, here's the deal. I don't need to hear your story. If you remember that you used to be in love, you have a chance to get it back. He says, remember the height from which you've fallen. Remember you used to be right here with him, and if you used to be there, you can get it back. You just got to remember what it used to be like. But not only do you have to remember some things, but secondly, if you're taking notes, you need to repent of some things. You see, if you look at the statement, he said, remember the height from which you've fallen, and you see the verse? Repent and do the things you did at first. Now, the word and separates the two thoughts. Repent and do the things you did at first. So he says, remember, you used to be here, and now you're here. So the second step is what? Repent. Do you understand that you and I don't fall away from Jesus for no reason? It doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens because you and I make bad choices. We make selfish choices. I mean, it's exactly what Jared was saying. And when he was explaining that whole thing about, you know, the reckless love, I don't even know where Jared is. It is reckless. It doesn't even make sense why God loves us. 
perfection, loving complete imperfection. That's as reckless as could be. That's like you and I seeing somebody that is the furthest thing from what we could ever be or ever want to be and say, I'm going to sacrifice everything for you. The idea of Jesus dying on a cross for us, he didn't die on a cross because he knew we had goodness. He died on a cross because he knew how messed up we were. He died on a cross because he knew how bad we were going to need grace. He died on a cross because he knew you were going to mess up. And it's when you and I mess up that the idea is to repent of that sin. In other words, every once in a while you've got to stop and think, what have I done or not done? I fell out of love with Jesus, so I got, what is it? Well, just repent. You know what I think is weird? When it comes to the word repentance, it seems to be a bad thing in the church today. People talking about repentance. Oh, no, I didn't sin. No, 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 I did nothing wrong. It kind of goes with the word conviction. You know, it's almost like when I see people come down the aisle, like if I gave an invitation tonight, some people come down, and when you really get broken, it's almost like you want to hide it. When you really get broken and you're spiritually just dying there and you're just like, no, I just don't want to admit what I've done because y'all don't understand. It's so bad. Can I just say something? The word conviction is a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know why? It means God's still alive inside you. Amen. The fact that you get convicted means that it's Jesus saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Let, let's pump the brakes for a second. Come back to me. It's the day you can sin and not feel bad about it that it's a problem. He says, if you've fallen away from Jesus, there's a reason. Stop and figure out what it is and repent of it. I think sometimes we just get so caught up in life and it becomes so mundane that we forget it. I call it the refrigerator syndrome. I know it's going to sound really weird to you. But when's the last time you've like been watching TV and like it's funny, there's like 8,000 channels today and like you're, you can't find anything to watch. And you're flipping the channel to your board, and let's just say it's midnight, and all of a sudden you recognize that you're hungry. And how many of you have done this before? You got up from the lounge chair or whatever you do, you know, couch or whatever, or, you know, bean bag, and you say, you know what, I'm hungry, and you get up at midnight, and you go to a refrigerator that is three-quarters full, and you can't find one thing to eat. You've done that before, haven't you? And you know what you do? You shut the door, and you go back, and you sit down and go, there's just nothing to eat. And you start watching nothing again, right? And you know what happens? 30 minutes later, you figure out you're still hungry. And you know what happened 30 minutes later? You've done it and I've done it. You went back to the same refrigerator and you found something. Think about that for a second. 30 minutes before, you opened a full refrigerator and there was nothing to eat. 30 minutes later, that mustard-looking thing looked really good. And you ate it. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. That's how sin happens to you and me, and we don't even see it. The, the refrigerator didn't magically change the second time you went to it. The same stuff was in the refrigerator when you went the second time. The second time, you found something to eat. So what was it that happened between the first time and the second time? You lowered your standards the second time. Do you understand what I'm saying? First time you went, ain't no way I'm eating that mustard-looking stuff. It's nasty. The second time, I'm so hungry. Mustard stuff looks good. Watch Survivor every once in a while. You ever watch Survivor? You know what's crazy on Survivor? These people are eating like, you know, two tablespoons of rice a day. And it's funny because I've watched every episode of Survivor. I'm a reality TV show freak. 
But it's interesting to me when they have those things. These people are emaciating before your very eyes. They're 31 days into something, and all of a sudden, they, it's little things. Like you and I, what, what's a reward for us? I want a car. I want a trip. They come out and they say, here's your reward if you win this battle. Peanut butter. <laughs> and you watch it. All the women and guys go, oh. <laughs> They've been so emaciated from having nothing. Anything looks good. And you know what I figured out? That's what happens to you and me with sin. There was a time, there is no way in the world I'm ever going to do that. And if you're not careful and you fall out of love with Jesus, you will. You will. I know that by experience. And the idea of what he's saying is this. The only way to get back to him is to repent. Repent of that. If you look at the word repent, it's actually two Two, two, two words put together. It's kind of weird, but I'll just say it to you like this, and I'm going to put it together with Scripture so you see it. To re means to return. Pent is the prefix for penthouse. It means the top. So here's what he's saying. Remember the height from which you've fallen. You remember you used to be up here, and now you're down here? Here's what he's saying. Repent. Return to the top. I'll say it to you like this, and I don't know if I told you the story, but my wife... Before we had our oldest daughter, Eden, uh, had a horrible miscarriage. Horrible. And it was just, don't even want to get into it, but there was a point where I wanted to get her away from everything because she was broken. We'd gone on our honeymoon to Maui, Ritz-Carlton, great hotel. And I remember thinking, you know what? Let's go back and experience that again. I'm just going to take her. I just need to get her away from everything. And it's an expensive hotel, but I got this guy that had given me a good deal, and I said, it's cool, it's like 150 bucks a night, which back then was still a lot of money. But I remember checking in, and I'll never forget it. This truly happened. We go up, and it was almost like we were honeymooners again. They said, oh, hello, Mr. and Mrs. Morris, checking in, okay, well, congratulations. And I go, uh, okay. <laughs> and they go, well, it's your honeymoon, right? I mean, we'd been married like eight years, I was like, uh, well, every day is a honeymoon with my wife. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm a guy that's pretty quick and pretty smooth. And so I sat there and I'm thinking, it sounds like he's going to give me something free. And I looked at the guy and I went, uh, you don't ever lie, but you just go, do you think it's my honeymoon? If you ever want to get away with lying, you ask a question back. They go, it's your honeymoon, right? Do you think it's my honeymoon? I did nothing wrong. And he goes, well, yeah, that's what it says here. And I was like, there you go. <laughs> and I said, why are you asking that question? And he goes, because we've upgraded your room. I go, to what? He said, the presidential suite. <laughs> he called it the penthouse, and it was on top. And I said, he goes, okay, and understand, I'm a poor minister. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> I was like, okay. And I remember the bellhop taking us down, and we went to the top floor, and he took us all the way to the end because it had the best view. And we walked into a hotel room that was 3,000 square feet. Our apartment was 800 square feet. <laughs> I'm being serious. It had a grand piano to the right. He talked about the fresh flowers that get put in every single day. And I'm looking around this room, and all I can think of is they've made a grave mistake. Like, they think I'm somebody I'm not. 
And he shut the door to leave. And I, I promise you, I looked at my wife and I said this, don't unpack the bags. And she goes, why? Any moment we're going to get a call going, we thought you were Mr. Moore. You're Mr. Morris. We made a mistake. Get out. So the first night we didn't unpack the bags. We just left everything in there. The second day, I was still waiting on somebody to call, nobody called. The third day, I was like, I'm going to enjoy this room. I'm serious. I called at the front desk and said, nobody has changed our flowers out. Come now. I'm serious. I don't even play piano, but I played that one. And I remember deciding that I wanted to find out how much does a hotel room like this cost? Because I'm only paying 150 bucks a night. That's still what they're charging me. It was $2,500 a night. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Woo! I didn't even know what to do with that. But can I be honest with you? I enjoyed that room. And I say that to you to say this to you. If I ever have a chance to go back to the Ritz-Carlton, and by the way, I'm going this November. Taking the family, going to the Maui Invitational, little basketball tournaments. That makes you jealous. So what? <laughs> but I want you to know something. I don't have so much spiritual pride that if I walk up this November to check in and they say, Mr. Morris, congratulations. <laughs> We've upgraded you to the penthouse. I want you to know something. There's no way in the world, spiritually, I'm going to go, you know what, I'm a minister, and I really need to turn that down and have my regular room. You know what I'm going to say? I'll take the penthouse. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. Once you've experienced it, you want it again. Dang, now listen to me. The idea of repentance is to repent. Go back to the top. He's saying, come back and get all the grace that you once had. Come back for all the forgiveness that you need and that I have, he says. He says, come back. Remember some things. You've got to repent of some things. Number three, then you've got to repeat some things. Now, the sentence says it like this. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now, if you just look at that logically, do the things you did at first, what he's saying is you used to do something and you stopped doing it, and now we want you to do it again. So the idea of coming back to your first love and falling in love with Jesus again is not only to remember how great it used to be, not only is it to go back and experience all that he has to offer again, then he says this, well, then you need to repeat some steps. And you say, well, what do you mean? It's interesting because if I were to ask you the question, can you ever remember a time in your life that you were the closest to Jesus than you've ever been? Now, all of us can probably go there in our minds. But if I were to go further logically and ask you the question, well, okay, you remember that time? Yeah, wait, it was like two years ago or it was five years ago. Dude, there was a point. I've never been closer to Jesus than I was in that moment. I would ask you this question. Tell me what was going on in your life spiritually at that point. And some of y'all would say this. Well, wait, you don't understand. Three years ago when I was more in love with Jesus than ever, um, I was reading my Bible every day. You know what he says? Repeat that step and watch what happens in your life. When I was closer to Jesus than I've ever been, I was going on two mission trips a year. Do that one again and watch what happens. When I was closer to Jesus than I've ever been, I was sharing my faith all the time. Then repeat that step and watch what happens. Because if something spiritually brings you to Christ, 
then it's also going to keep you with Christ. It's not like he throws out something and says, now it disappears. Grace is greater than all of our sin. That means when you start it and when you end it, grace is always there. It's consistent. So the idea of what he's saying is, think about those things. Think about that moment. So you've got to remember some things. You've got to repent of some things. You've got to repeat some things. And I was going to say something more, but we don't have a lot of time there. Let's get to the last one, number four. There's a reward for doing all this. That sounds so trite, and I almost hate to say that, because the reward is Jesus. You know that, right? I mean, we, I mean, we all get that. But it's so weird, because in the Christian life, the reward is Jesus, but he always offers us more than that. But he says something interesting at the very end, and I want to show you this. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And look at this word, if you've got your, sentence, you've got your Bibles up still. To him who overcomes... I'll give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, to him who overcomes. Now, most of you know that the New Testament is written mainly in Greek. The word overcomes, let's just suffice it to say this. When you translate it into our language, it means this. To him who does what I just got through telling you to do. He's saying to him who overcomes his own pride and her own pride and breaks down and just trusts me on all this stuff. To him who does that, I'm going to give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, here's the issue. When we think about that, you think about the word paradise. What, what, what word comes to your mind when I say paradise? Huh? Okay. Anything else? I heard four or five things. Heaven. heaven. Yeah. Paradise. Heaven. Like something great, right? It's something huge. He says, to him who overcomes, I give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. If you're not careful, you're going to sit back and go, wait, he's offering me heaven. I've already got heaven. Understand this. He's speaking to the church. He's not reminding them that they're getting heaven again. He uses an earthly illustration for a reason. To him who eats, physical. From the tree of life, physical. I can touch it. To him who overcomes and eats from the tree of life, I'm going to give you a chance to experience that in the paradise of God. Here's the deal. They've already been promised heaven. Do you know what he's promising them? Heaven on earth. In other words, he's speaking to a church that already has eternal life. And you know what he's promising? You have a chance to have abundant life now. If you eat from this, if you do this, if you overcome and you take a good look and finally get to that place that you say... I am so sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm so sick and tired of where I'm at in life. I'm so sick and tired of the same cycle over and over. He says this, if you just trust me on this, remember, repent, repeat. I'm going to give you something that you can taste. You're going to have a chance to have the peace that passes understanding again. You're going to have a chance to feel joy and get it even though it's tough to live in this world. But I'm going to give it to you, is what he's saying. It's interesting. I said this illustration once, but it begs to be done right here. Let me say this. There was a book written in 1988, and this was the name of the book. You can look it up at some point. 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Come Back in 1988. 
By the way, it was a big book. So you're laughing, but I mean, it sold out, was a bestseller. What they had done, the writers, would they had shown all the prophecies that had been fulfilled, and they actually rounded it down. It wasn't, he's just coming back sometime this year. It was either September 12th or 13th of 1988. I was a youth intern at a really big church in Mobile, Alabama. And the closer you got to September 12th and 13th, everybody starts to freak out, right? I mean, you start to go, whoa, 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 was this real? Now, the funny thing about the book is they actually ran out. It became such a big phenomenon. They ran out of books. And there was a thing, a press release written out, and they said this, we've made another order of books and they'll be ready in November. <laughs> I'm being serious about that too. I was like, I don't know who's going to be around that wants to read it at that point. But what happened was this. We were in August, and I remember the pastor of the church where I was at grabbed everybody's attention, and he said this. I know everybody's been reading this book, and everybody's scared, and everybody's got questions. He says, come to church tonight, and I'm going to answer this for you. The church was packed. Now, back then, we used to do Sunday morning, Sunday night church. I don't know. Do y'all do Sunday night church here, Patrick? I don't know. They do, so do y'all do, don't do Most churches don't do Sunday night. But here's the deal. It was Sunday morning, Sunday night. And what would happen is, this is what we always said. You know, they always said, if, 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 if you love, you know, if you love church, you go to church on Sunday morning. If you love Jesus, you go to church on Sunday night. That's what they used to say. But usually it was like a church of 2,000 would have maybe 300 people on Sunday night. It's always the core people. I remember thinking, well, I mean, the building seats 1,800. I'm good to go. And I showed up maybe five minutes before the service and sat in the balcony in the stairwell. Had to sit on the stairs. That's how many people came. There was probably 2,500 people there. That's how big a phenomenon this book was. Everybody was like, if this is going to end, what do we do? And the pastor was very knowledgeable about all the fulfillment of Scripture and the fulfillment of prophecy, and he kind of was just reading the book, basically. And I remember thinking, man, I can do that. And then he got to the end, and I'll still never forget it. You know how you have those one moments that somebody says something that you go, dude, I'll, I don't think I'm ever going to forget that. All of a sudden, he steps forward after doing a sermon that I don't even remember the sermon because it didn't matter, he was just reading the book. And he leans forward and he asks this question. He said, if I could guarantee you, guarantee you, that September 12th or 13th, that Jesus is coming back, my question is this, what would you do right this second? And he just let it be silent for about four minutes. It felt like an hour. We started off kind of looking at each other, kind of like, are we supposed to say something? Then all of a sudden, people stopped looking at each other, and they started looking down. You're kind of looking into your own soul. And I still remember some of the things that I thought. I remember thinking, i got to find out where my mom lives and share Christ with her. I remember hearing somebody else say, i got to get my life together, man. I remember hearing somebody, a few rows before, just saying this, if I knew that, I'd probably, I'd probably be saved. And I started to think about what everybody was thinking. I would give up this addiction, which is what Jared was saying. 
I would probably read my Bible. I'd probably witness for the first time ever. I'd probably live with no fear. And he started to, and out of nowhere, as our minds were rolling, he leaned forward and said this. I have no clue if Jesus is going to come back September 12th or 13th. But if I read scripture close enough, is what he said. Whatever you were just thinking in your mind that you needed to do, you need to do right now. Because today is always the day of salvation. Never once did he say, if you are heavy, laden, burdened, have anxiety, or literally dying on the inside, wait two weeks to get it right. All the Bible, he says, come now. Come now. I just don't want you to miss. Church is not a building. It's you and me. We are the church. You've heard me say statements, and I'll say it all the time. Jesus didn't die on a cross. What? So we'd go to church. He did it so we'd be the church. And if that's the case, the question is, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Do you need to come back to him? Because I'm telling you, there's nothing waiting on you out there that's more important than being in love with Jesus right now. Nothing. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.